You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. This story, again, all of this, it might have spoken to those in Luke's culture, but it it doesn't work today to threaten people in our culture with some burning in the afterlife. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery and this is episode 437. Our title this week is Stories That Shape Us and our reading is from the Gospel of Luke, Luke. 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to be sa- who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table, even if the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on us, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So, there are folk tales about reversing circumstances in the next life were a, a staple in 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 Jesus's world and in Hellenistic and Roman and and uh, even Jewish culture. The author of Luke chooses to contrast uh, the lived realities of the rich and the poor um, here, and and that's consistent with the the theme of economic justice that we've seen over and over again in this version of the Jesus story. I, I love the cultural diversity and the richness richness in uh, this week's story. The influence of Hel- Hellenism comes through in eternally burning Hades, and and yet this folktale is 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 also thoroughly Jewish with the poor person being whisked away with the, the the instruction from Moses and the prophets about taking care of the poor and 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 this is not a, a Christian story it's not um, the the rich the 
the poor man being whisked away to a Christian heaven, but he's uh, whisked away to the bosom of, of Father Abraham, and it's Abraham that he has this this dialogue with. Maybe if this was a Christian story, it would have been, you know, St. Peter at the pearly gates, but, but it's not. And J. Jeremiah reminds us, in order to understand the parable in detail and as a whole, it is essential to recognize the first part derives from a well-known folk material. This is the Egyptian folk tale of the journey of Osiris, the son uh, who went to the underworld. Alexandrian Jews brought this story to Palestine, where it became very popular as the story of the poor scholar and the rich publican. Uh, Bar Majan. And that's from his book, Parables, page 183. In Luke's gospel, the author drops a focus uh, on tension between uh, a scholar and a tax collector and replaces it instead here with, with tension between the rich and the poor. This isn't tax collector versus, uh, you know, uh, um, scribe or, or student of the law or teacher of the law. This is uh, uh, just generic. It's, it's more universal. It's, it's ri- all rich and all poor. And I want to say something about the, the Hellenistic idea of flaming torment in the afterlife in this story. And the reason I want to do so is due to, to its abuse by Christians throughout history. This week's story is a folktale. But uh, the first century historian Josephus tells us that, that at this time, there were some Pharisees who did teach of an eternal punishment after death. This is a War on the Jews, Volume 2, Chapter 8, Paragraph 14. They, the Pharisees, saw that all souls are imperishable. Uh, but that the souls of good men only pass into other bodies while the souls of evil men are subject to eternal punishment. And the the Greek language used here for eternal punishment is adius timoria. And the pharisaical schools weren't monolithic. They had a rich diversity of ideas about afterlife and resurrection. And Josephus's report uh, could, could not have been true of all the Pharisees uh, at that time. But, but, but there must have been enough for, for Josephus to describe uh, their beliefs this way regardless. And, and the words Josephus used to communicate what the Pharisees were teaching are also interesting. Again, the Greek word here used for eternal is adius, and the Greek word here used for punishment is timoria. And a little language exploration here is beneficial. According to uh, Luneda's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament based on semantic domains, uh, Adius meant pertaining to an unlimited duration of time. That makes sense. It's eternal. It's an unlimited duration of time. But Tamoria, on the other hand, and, and this is where the discussion this week, I think, is going to get a little bit more interesting. Tamoria means to punish with the implication of causing people to suffer what they deserve. Now, hold that in mind. Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament explains that uh, uh, the nature of this word is penal, and it has reference to the satisfaction of him who inflicts it. In other words, it's satisfying something 
in the person who's inflicting the suffering that uh, that there's something inside of them that says that person needs to suffer for what they did. Uh, Tamoria then is a a retributive punishment, again, to satisfy something in the person inflicting the suffering who, who feels that the offender must experience punishment. But every time the gospel authors write about Jesus speaking of some type of punishment or well, reversal of fates, either in this life or the next, they use the Greek phrase aeonian colossus for eternal punishment. You can find that in Matthew 25, 46. Now, aeonian colossus was a also a known phrase among Hellenistic Jews, many of whom populated the, the region of Galilee where Jesus traveled and taught. Uh, Philo, who was a Hellenistic Jewish philosopher who was a, a contemporary of Jesus, he wrote, It is better not to promise than not to give prompt assistance, for no blame follows in the former case, but in the latter case there is dissatisfaction from the weaker class and a deep hatred and an eternal chastisement from such as are more powerful. That term, eternal chastisement, talking about in this life, um, is Aeonian Colossus again. And and Mounce's concise uh, Greek-English dictionary of the New Testament tells us that Aeonian is an indeterminate adjective. uh, It's indeterminate as to duration. It's not so much about how long it lasts, but its quality. Um, and and Thayer's Greek English lexicon of the New Testament tells us that Aeonian gives prominence to the immeasurableness of eternity. So once again, it's not so much about how long it is, but just the quality of it, the depth of it, the breadth of it. In other words, it's not that it lasts forever, but that that it it may take forever for whatever this adjective is is describing to to accomplish its its deep purpose. And 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 we have as much time as it takes is what it's basically saying, no matter how long that is. The meaning of the word colossus and and we can debate over the 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 minutia between the two words for eternal there that's not as significant this week but the the meaning of the word colossus or the two different types of punishment here are why this topic picks my interest Thayer's Greek English lexicon of the New Testament confirms what we learned earlier about Tamoria, and it compares this difference with Colossus. And these, again, this is the tension. The noted definition of Aristotle, Thayer says, uh, which distinguishes Colossus from Tamoria, is that Colossus is disciplinary and has reference to him who suffers. Remember, Timoria was a it was referencing something inside the one who who needed to inflict the suffering. This is reference to him who suffers, while the latter Timoria is penal and has reference to the satisfaction of him who inflicts. Uh, in in Pro- uh, Protagoras, Plato writes, if you think Socrates of the nature of punishment, you will see at once in the opinion of mankind, virtue may be acquired. No one punishes, and here's Plato uh, using the word Colossus for Colossus for punishment. Uh, no one punishes the evildoer under the notion or for the reason that he has done wrong. Only the unreasonable fury of a beast acts in that manner. But he who desires to inflict rational punishment, and again the word is Colossus, does not retaliate for a past wrong which cannot be undone. 
He has regard for the future and his desires that the man who is punished, Colossus, and, and he who sees him punished may be deterred from doing wrong again. He punishes for the sake of prevention, thereby clearly implying that virtue is capable of being taught. What's fascinating about this passage from Plato is that Colossus here is used um, not as a, a, a penal punishment, but as a transformative disciplining process. It's, it changes the one who's being punished. And the purpose of Colossus then, it's to deter others, as, as the language here implies, but it's to discipline or transform the one who experiences it. Now, this is Fascinating when you apply this to Jesus talking about eternal punishment. In other words, it's it's to change the people being punished, and we've got eternity. No longer how, no matter how long it takes. This implies that the gospel authors, in using this term, they want us to imagine a Jesus who taught a restorative punishment rather than a retributive one. And if the discipline is to take place in the afterlife, then the people receiving it have all the time that it that it will take this kind of punishment in the story it's intended to be something that someone passes through and is changed by not an escapable fate that people are abandoned to then this is a totally different characterization of this for the way Christians have typically historically used it and even though we've been considering Hellenistic sources so far the idea of using fire to symbolize removing something considered harmful like fire removing dross from gold it's also a Jewish idea. It's part of the Hebrew scriptures. In Isaiah 33, 14, it says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with the everlasting burning? Those who walk righteously and speak what is right, who rejects gain from extortion and keeps their hands from accepting bribes, who will stop their ears against the plots of murder and shut their eyes against the, the contemplating evil. In this passage, those who dwell or, or live in the presence of everlasting burnings are, are the, the righteous. It's, it's, it's from this that we might understand that the righteous are those who, who go through this kind of experience and are therefore transformed. They survive it. Uh, but to our reading this week, this story, it, 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 again, all of this, it might have spoken to those in Luke's culture, but it doesn't work today to threaten people in our culture with some burning in the afterlife. I think it would be much more realistic to, to focus on the gains and the losses that we experience in this life when we practice the kind of indifferent exclusion um, that we see in, in the ways of the unnamed rich person in this story. Gustavo Gutierrez writes, remember, this is from The Power of the Poor in History, and I've shared this before. This is page 44. 
The poor are a byproduct of the system in which we live and for which we are responsible. They are marginalized by our social and cultural world. They are the oppressed, the exploited proletariat, robbed of the fruit of their labor, despoiled of their humanity. Hence, the poverty of the poor is not a call to generous relief action, but a demand that we go and build a different social order. And that that last part, the tension between charity that just leaves the system unchallenged, untouched, unchanged, and 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 actually uh, working toward instead justice that transforms a system where charity is no longer needed. That's the tension that that Gutierrez is 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 focusing our attention on there on that page. But 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 how this week uh, are you uh, being called to prioritize those? in our present system uh, that are being marginalized or disenfranchised politically, socially, economically, or possibly in all three ways. Um, what are the stories that are, are, are shaping you in this direction this week? We've looked at one that was uh, from the Gospel of Luke that worked within that culture. What are the stories that shape us today in our culture toward a more inclusive, just society? Heart Group Application, share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, what stories have shaped you in your journey? Uh, Share one of those with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today. You can find Renewed Heart Ministries on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you haven't done so already, please follow us on on your chosen social media platforms for our daily posts. And also, if you enjoy listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, please like and subscribe to the JFE podcast through the podcast platform that you use. And and consider taking some time to give us a review there. This helps others uh, find our podcast as well. And if you'd like to reach out to us through email, you can always reach us at info at renewedheartministries.com. Right where you are, keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each of you dearly. I'll see you next week.